0: Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the second episode of the Make Motherhood Diverse podcast. I am your host, Remy Sade, and today is International Women's Day. (laughs) I had to clap for myself (laughs) Um, because it's just me who's talking to you. So, This week, because it's International Women's Day, for the Motherhood in the News segment that we do at the beginning of every single episode, we are going to be looking at women who have made the news, not necessarily women who are currently in it. However, the first lady that I would like to speak to you guys about is a space scientist, and she recently did an interview with Stylist Magazine. I've actually heard of her before, many, many years ago, but I could never remember her name. She is called Dr. Maggie Aderin-Pocock, and she is also the presenter of BBC4's The Sky at Night. Um, now, for some of you who don't know who she is, or like me when I first of her didn't know who she was, she is uh astronomer slash scientist but basically she deals with you know the galaxy and everything kind of out of this world for want of a better word um she started working in science and she obtained a degree in physics and also a phd in mechanical engineering she is also a mum of one so she presents this show obviously as i previously said but she also works on um scripts for tv shows sometimes and she's currently working on a show um called dr maggie space adventures which is about her obviously because she's dr maggie um it is about um a woman who transfer transfers (laughs) a woman who travels to um another galaxy interestingly she has also done a lot of consultancy work because she runs a science consultancy company And some of the people that she's consulted are like the European Space Agency and NASA. And she is a woman in STEM. Um, She is also a dyslexic. But she says that even though she faces certain challenges such as that, her number one um, favourite thing about her job is going into a classroom where kids think that she's going to sit down and talk to them and it's going to be really boring and really sciencey. And then when they leave the room, they can see the wonder in, um, sorry, she can see the wonder in their faces because she's just explained to them all the magic that is outer space. Um, I find her particularly interesting because she has beaten quite a few of the odds. She's a woman of colour. She's a woman. She's a mum of one. And she has been able to go on and have a very fulfilling career, doing something that she enjoys. And she has also been able to diversify her skill set. And so although she started out as, you know, a regular scientist, now she works in other industries and it allows her to be visible, which is always important, which is why we do things like MMD, because people need to be able to see sometimes, or children especially, like she said, need to be able to see people who they can relate to and it gives them the opportunity to dream. Um, She did a TED talk actually and she said that she wants to kind of explain to people the power of dreams and having them because for her it was her dream that allowed her to even believe that she could ever become the person that she is today so yeah i think that she deserved a little bit of a shout out because she's pretty pretty cool now the second person that i would like to talk to you guys about is an author and the reason that i've chosen to speak about this author is because she has a particular book that she wrote to her child who unfortunately passed away um and our guest today Is a woman who we will be sitting down to talk to about uh, infant loss Um, and I just wanted to say now as I understand for some people this might be a really hard episode to listen to we absolutely appreciate that although it isn't the easiest thing to talk about infant loss does affect mothers and losing a child does not then stop you from being a mum it just means that your motherhood experience is very different and like womanhood there are very different versions of what it can look like but that doesn't mean anyone is wrong or right so the author that i'm going to be talking to you about is a woman called isabel Allende, and she is a chilean author she became uh well known because basically she started writing a lot of her memoirs she started out as a journalist and she eventually got so good that she was able to secure an interview with um, the infamous writer Pablo Neruda. When he met her, he said to her, you know, he felt like she was almost too imaginative to be a journalist and she should instead try and try being a novelist. So what ended up happening was that she then went from being a journalist to writing Uh, or starting to write a novel novel based on his advice and he said you know uh, just compile all of your uh, satirical columns into one book and that ended up being her first ever published book and that was something that she absolutely adored doing and she did for a really long time. When she had her daughter however there were certain things that I guess you could say changed for her of course like with everyone. And unfortunately, one of the things that happened was that her daughter got sick. And when she got sick, the medication that she was administered caused a bad reaction. And uh, unfortunately, she went into a coma and passed away. And because of her strong relationship with her daughter, she wrote a book called Paula and it was a memoir written in the style of a letter to her daughter but about her own childhood and her own experiences and the things that she you know she experienced and she went through and that was considered to be one of her best works because of the fact that um, her daughter had passed away and also the fact that it was very uh, vulnerable and it was soul-bearing and for a lot of mothers that bond that you have with your child is probably one of the most authentic relationships you may ever have and to uh put that down on paper in a book form i think a lot of people could relate to it and because they could relate to it and identify with it they engaged with it in a way that other literature sometimes didn't get the same kind of attention so yeah she was called uh isabel allende And the reason I wanted to talk to you about her is because that was, you know, her process, continuing to write. And also, Isabel writes letters to her daughter even after she passed away so she started it before she passed away uh, because she passed away when she was 29 Um, and she writes letters to her daughter every single day and that is a way that she keeps her daughter's memory alive and she also runs a foundation which is to support the empowerment of women and girls worldwide so yeah that is the, I guess, profile bio of Isabel Allende. As I said before, our guest today will be speaking about her experiences with infant loss. But she also runs a very diverse rag doll, um, soft body doll making company. So I hope you enjoy it. And of course, I will catch you on the other side. So I'm sitting here with our lovely guest this week, Jody. How do we find you on social media, by the way?
1: Um, Clark's Closet.
0: On Instagram.
1: On Instagram or um, my personal blog um, craft ninja
0: oh I didn't even know you have a personal blog I know you've got a personal account but I thought you were just trying to hide from the people
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) I made it I've opened it up now so yeah craft ninja but my business is Clark's Closet okay so it's quite
0: interesting because we are going to talk about Clark's Closet but Clark's Closet is a business that was named after your baby Clark yes and before you had Clark you had Hamilton yeah but we are here to talk about Two pregnancies that you had before Hamilton, yeah. Um, and you wrote into you wrote into MMD, isn't it? Yeah. That your story was shared on yeah. MMD. Um, because I remember because I've known you for a little bit, and before, um, reading that post on MMD, I never knew yeah, any of either. that. Yeah, was that the first time you spoke about um everything publicly? In publicly,
1: yes. Like I sp- my girlfriends and. We speak about it once in a while but it's never yeah that's the first public thing I've done about it. How was that for you? Um, When um, MMD just started doing like I'll oh, put your stories in and stuff that's when I started thinking oh I'll write about it it'll be cool yeah and then I was like no no brother, I'm not doing this <laughs> I can't do it so it literally took me about a month so really? I would write delete <laughs> write and then I was like, I'd delete the whole thing, I'd be like, no, I'm not doing it. And then I would write again, it would get too emotional, then I'd be like, no.
0: I, I was going to say to you, was it, even though it was the first time you publicly spoken about it, because you'd spoken about it privately, did that still make it as hard to write about? or was No, because something... even when I
1: speak about it privately... It still brings me back to that exact day when it happened mm-hmm. so it's always fresh in my mind I remember every single detail I remember the times the date what the weather was like outside what I was mm-hmm. wearing down to my knickers everything I remember wow. every single detail it's something that is literally drilled into my into my mind and I don't think I'll ever forget so
0: this is <coughs> what we're talking about by the way is um, infant loss um, And we just like had a bit of a conversation before we started recording because this is like a very sensitive subject and obviously because we're personal friends like it's not the easiest conversation for me to have knowing that you know it's it's something that is um, very personal and emotional to you as well Um, and I obviously don't want to upset you but as much as you're willing to talk about or even if you could just explain why it happened because a lot of people don't have medical answers for things like miscarriage or infant loss or any of those yeah. things so what was the s- situation surrounding your pregnancies and how they ended and stuff so
1: um when i um had my first um baby when i lost my first baby because i don't consider it a, a miscarriage yeah when i lost my first baby um they thought they weren't clear that i may have an incomplete cervix and they said they would just monitor me um if i ever had another baby so was this after you, this after, after he passed had, away yeah, that you, yeah. okay. So, um, yeah, they, they weren't sure. They just thought, oh, maybe it was just bad luck. And my body had just decided that it was going to go into labor that day. Um, but that wasn't the case, mm-hmm. but they didn't know. And as you know, it's, pre- was pregnant. When you can never, you can never be sure unless you're, it's actually investigated. Yeah. So, um, I just left it at that. I didn't think I would get pregnant again the following year oh was that how soon after yeah it was the the next year yeah okay yeah so it was
0: and it was the same the same that they
1: thought you had it incomplete so what they did in this the second time is they monitored me but in monitoring they didn't monitor me frequently enough it was every two weeks i would go in they would check the look for my cervix and everything was fine but those two weeks of them monitoring me i had no no checkups or anything so it only took a couple of days after them checking my cervix or my cervix to start to open up again.
0: Okay. And so obviously you have, since those children were born and unfortunately passed away, you've had two more children. Yeah. Um, so what did, what was the
1: difference in? So um, when I had my, when I was pregnant with Hamilton, I was a bit adamant about what I wanted them to do so i when i first found out i was pregnant i didn't say anything for ages so i found out i was pregnant when i was about four or five weeks pregnant i said nothing until i was eight weeks because i just didn't want to rock the about if i thought if i put it out there into the universe it's going to happen all over again mm-hmm. and i was on pins and needles as i was with the pregnancy before so i went to the doctor and i said i've got um i've lost two babies they said they um in the second pregnancy that is i've got an incomplete cervix and i'm going to need a stitch so i said to, i said to them, i want this this and this done did you have the stitch in your second pregnancy no i had it in my third with ah, hamilton okay so I they
0: understand. monitored me
1: in my second pregnancy cuz they still weren't 100% sure so they was they said that if it got to a case where when i had my next scan and they saw that it was becoming shorter then they would put a stitch in or give me steroids I see. But by the time we got around to the next, even before the next appointment, mm-hmm. my cervix had opened,
0: and you you explained to me that there was basically both of your first two children were born at the same gestational time, roughly around, give or take yeah. a few days. Yeah. Um. And can you explain what what um how do I put it? Can you explain why? care that they received was different based on their gestational age because I think that for women who have never been through anything to do with like infant loss or miscarriage or any any of those kind of things they wouldn't understand really so
1: when with my uh, first pregnancy when I I gave birth three days before my 24th week and um, they said that they considered it as a miscarriage and it was a fetus it wasn't baby so um, there was nothing that they could do and they weren't going to intervene when I gave birth to the baby which I called Daniel when I gave birth to Daniel um he was still breathing so I said to my mom they need to do something he is breathing they said you can't do anything we only intervene after 24 weeks so um, my mom was going mad and she was like this is why we need to oh, she wanted me to have private care in my second pregnancy um, so when they said that my mum dressed him um, and he lay next to me and then they wanted to take him away really early and even after he had passed away I still laid next to him and you just had it was like the doctors were a bit jittery and the midwives they just kept popping their head in I don't know what what that was about but my mum was just firm like you need to get out yeah, when you she's her ready her she will um, and it took it was about eight hours eight yeah, because uh, he was born in the morning and it wasn't until the late evening that they took him away. I had loads of friends that had come over and that were sitting with me. And at the time it was my... When I actually gave birth, it was myself, my best friend, my girlfriend, mm-hmm. my sister, my mum and my niece. So there was quite a few of us in the room when I actually gave birth. And they stayed with me until I actually left. So, um, yeah, but I wasn't... I didn't like that. I felt the, They were a bit insensitive. I think they just thought, I don't know if they just saw the baby as a fetus and they just needed to. And I think it was a thing where my room was huge and maybe they wanted to move me out because my, they were like when I was given birth or before, when they were explaining what was going to happen because they said that they're going to induce me and everything else. And then they said later on, we would move you to your ward. And my mum was like, no, you're not. There is no way you're going to put my child on the ward after she's gone through this experience. She's staying in this room. And you would have
0: been moved on to a ward with... Labour ward. I was already women, on, With I women was, who've had
1: live babies. Yes, so I was already on the labour ward. So I've given birth to my child. He has passed away and I can hear babies. Wow. I can hear... I was next door to two other women that had given birth. And I could hear their... I heard their babies being born. I heard them. um the crying everything and so i didn't sleep because i could hear babies the whole night mm. it was ridiculous do you feel like
0: going through such a hard experience when you did get pregnant with your second son it, it kind of like it put more fear in you because you knew what yeah could happen so i
1: literally did nothing what do you mean i didn't walk too fast i didn't do any exercise I didn't mm. even eat too fast, and I, I did nothing too fast. I, because as far as I was concerned, because they weren't sure of what was going on, I thought if I did too much movement or um, I did anything, I didn't have hot baths. I had lukewarm showers. I was in and out of the shower within a couple of minutes. I literally drove myself crazy. Um, I didn't um, eat salmon. It's all basically things, all the guidelines. All the you guidelines followed. I followed to a T. Ooh, pardon me. So even things that were old midwife and um, wives' tales, I just didn't. I did nothing. Mm. It was like I, I drove myself. I didn't go to work. Too tired. Like I would go in, and be, And because I was sick as well, because I had HG, it was even worse.
0: What is HG for people who don't know? I haven't experienced it.
1: So HG is hyperemesis, which you get. It's a severe form of sickness. Um, it's still to this day they still can't explain it there's no cure and it's basically you throw up between 10 and 60 times a day all day every day for nine months So that women, only
0: affects like one percent of pregnant one, women yeah, isn't it so they haven't women. put that and, much um, and there's been behind a research
1: it. um the other day i think something came out to say that they think that it's more psychological and it's not it's literally sorry yeah this there was a, there was a there was some kind of paper or something that came out to say that they think that it's psychological as well. It's not just medical. Well,
0: because it only affects 1% of labouring women... um, we'll yeah, funding the, into it. Yeah, they, there's not much yeah. research, but um I feel like um the Duchess of Cambridge had it and that made it quite... Yeah, like so A lot since, of people became since, aware of it
1: since yeah. she had... And she, Amy Schu is it Amy Schumer, the comedian? Yeah. She has it and it's... But she's actually blown it out of the water as well. But she's stateside, so yeah. there's women over here. There's little communities even on Instagram, which I only found out about the other day, and they um they have been trying to get funding and do charities mm. and stuff because it literally you can have organ failure. Yes. You can have organ failure. You can have organ failure. You can miscarry from from, having... from the
0: like almost like the effects of hyperemesis. Yeah. So you, you wow. vomit
1: so much that your stomach, you literally tear your stomach contents apart. Jeez. Um, yeah, so there's women that have had organ failure, they um, can no longer have an IV put in, so they have to have a pick line because their veins are so short. I, I was so dehydrated that they were considering putting a, vein, a line in my foot because they just couldn't find any veins. It's interesting that
0: you say that because um... There's a woman that um, we both follow on social media. Um, there's two women, actually, that have spoken about it. One of them is Susie J. Verrill, but also The Doctor Mummy is the yeah. woman that we both follow. She is uh, an Obstetrics and gynecology. Junior, I think. Um, but she's a doctor, and she has also experienced premises herself. And I know that we had a conversation, actually, and um, I said to her, well, you know, I have a friend who's got premises, and she said, you know, it, one of the things that... Um, people don't realise with high premises it affects your mental health as well. Yeah. And also, for her personally, um, she's publicly said that she would definitely think twice, maybe three times, about having another child because of it makes hyperemesis. You, it, makes, it
1: makes you consider aborting your baby.
0: Really? Over
1: and over again, I considered it.
0: Because, so, because of the, because, because it's the, the constant.
1: Because, um, so when I first got it with my first pregnancy, I would throw up up to no less than 40 times a day. Every single day. I couldn't even drink water. Mm -hmm. I would throw up water. And it got to a point where I just couldn't manage anymore. And I would go into hospital. And they'd be like, oh, you know, you just got to eat. And you've got to try and drink. And you've got to try and this. And you've got to try and that. And all you want to do is, like, scream and shout at them and say, I've been doing all of this. And it doesn't work. And it's like... Okay, just, if you've not tried this, try spice foods, try this, try that, and nothing worked. Mm -hmm. And then they would give you tablets to take home. The tablets couldn't stay in your stomach long enough
0: to do the the
1: jobs because you would then throw them up. Mm -hmm. And then you couldn't even keep down water. So it was just a vicious cycle. So I would come home for a couple of weeks and I'd go back in hospital. My son was the worst because I had it for the whole nine months.
0: So, your son is in Hamilton? Yes. Okay, so yeah, so you obviously went through, you know, also quickly, I just want to touch on the grieving process, because I know that, like, mm. there are certain cultural practices, your Caribbean, there are certain cultural practices we have when a child passes away in a family, but at the same time, you went through that twice, did you have different grieving processes, and were you still grieving your first son when you lost your second one?
1: Yes, I was, um... But um, I was living at home with my mum, my mum is a Buddhist, and she is the most positive person in the world, so I didn't, whereas a lot of women have to do therapy and all those things, I, and thankfully I didn't have to do any of that, I literally leaned on my mum and she got me through everything, so when I got pregnant the second time, after about eight, nine weeks, I told, I only told my mum, I didn't even tell my partner. Oh Wow. I didn't even tell, tell him at first. Oh, wow, okay. Because I was so sick that I was thinking, I can't do this again. I would literally crawl on my hands and knees to the bathroom, mm-hmm. throwing up, and I was like, I can't do this. And you consider aborting your child over and over again, and then it's a thing where you start torturing yourself because you're thinking, if I was considering aborting my baby, so now I'm being punished oh wow okay so that's, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. my thought process so yes i was still grieving daniel when i got pregnant again with my and look, before i lost that baby as well mm-hmm. but i had because i was trying to focus so much on this pregnancy i had to push all of that in the back of my head mm-hmm. and try and concentrate on well torturing myself trying to trying to concentrate on torturing myself mm,
0: yeah he was trying to concentrate on the baby that yeah you were pregnant yes with. yeah but it
1: was it was taught tort- it was like li- living torture it was ridiculous and I remember going in for my 13 week scan and I held my breath throughout the whole thing mm-hmm. until they said, OK, everything's fine. And, then and I could, and I could breathe. Yeah. So even with Hamilton and Clark, I never had a, oh, I excited feeling I'm going to see my baby. Mm. That, that when I have scans, I have no excitement.
0: Do you feel like it? in general because you like you know some people lose one baby but it's uncommon for it to happen twice do you feel yeah. like because of that it's like any any pregnancy you're just like you know when people say oh i want a healthy baby yeah. but generally they want a boy or a girl yeah but for you it's genuinely it's like, I just, like, like I just want a, want a healthy, healthy baby. baby yes
1: because even after i had my stitch with hamilton i still tortured myself really yeah
0: you didn't feel like you were like no. in the clear
1: no no i breathed i breathed a sigh of relief after the operation and i got home and i still tortured myself i still walked slow and then one day um a part piece of thread had come out in my knickers mm-hmm. and i literally lost the plot okay. and i rushed to the hospital and i was screaming and crying and i was like it didn't work something's wrong and they checked me out and they said everything's fine everything's fine jody I wouldn't leave and I was like I just want to see Can is there any way you can get my consultant I just want to make mm. sure and they were like no she's not on call today and I was like and it was there's this one mid um woman on the um MUA unit so it's like a maternity assessment unit that you, mm-hmm, day mm-hmm. surgery that you can go in and if it wasn't for her I, I wouldn't have left because I was adamant that something was wrong even when they they scanned me and everything. Mm. They said everything was fine. And I was like, something's wrong. Mm. So as far as I'm concerned, my stitch was coming undone. There's like, there's no way that your stitch will come undone so quickly. So yeah, so I went through torture again with Hamilton, until they took the stitch out at thirty six weeks. Because then you knew, like, no matter what no matter happens, what, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna like, be okay. Yeah, and with Clark as well. So in the back, so of even
0: me- though you had, because then you'd had Hamilton, you'd had a live son be born yeah. and you like you can look at him you know everything's good
1: no it's I still went through, through torture with Clark as well and I um was then with my partner that I'm with now and um he had then saw the panic that I was going through and we would go to the hospital in the middle of the night and then on top of that I have pregnancy-induced asthma oh that that the asthma's only from your pregnancy oh yeah. I thought that was just a regular wow yeah, so every time I get pregnant I get asthma
0: what <laughs> so, I didn't even know that was a thing yes. I thought you just had asthma
1: like, I would get I would, I would get up in the middle of the night and can't breathe and I'd have to get um call cell doc out f so I could get a nebulizer what yeah with wow. Hamilton I was in I was on a ward for about two weeks because I just wasn't breathing properly yeah. and they had to put one of them lead vests over me to scan me because I just couldn't breathe it was just ridiculous wow wow yeah.
0: wow this is this is like I've never heard such an extraordinary
1: yeah, it's story all... do
0: you do you have any um any advice for two types of women women going through what you've been through in general Um, at any stage so whether it's losing a child or having a child after losing a child as well because I know that that's quite like like you said there's there's things that you went through that somebody who hasn't lost a child wouldn't understand but then also like being a woman of colour and experiencing certain complications in pregnancy maternity complications is something that we tend not to discuss in our community yeah um and I'm not sure as to why but did you find that like there were like certain generations had different responses to what you've been through See, or i
1: was i was lucky because my mum's just not like that mm. so my dad um had passed away by then mm-hmm. so it was just me and my mom in the house and i was in the house a lot with her when all of this had happened so as i said my mom's the most positive person in the world and because she's a buddhist she just chanted and as as well, she's concerned everything's gonna be okay everything happens for a reason you put it out into the universe if the universe doesn't accept it then you just have to try again so I was lucky in that sense where I had someone to talk to all the time mm-hmm. and I didn't have a lot of time to dwell in that misery because she would be at my room door okay let's go we've got to do this or mm. here's your here's your breakfast she, it was she would probably bring must bring me up breakfast two or three times and then that was it you got to come downstairs We've got to get things moving. And then she did ask me, do you want to do counselling? I do suggest there are different ways. You can do counselling. You can um, speak to an elder or a priest or something. Because I think within the black community, there are they are some certain people they will turn to, like their pastor or someone. faith. Or, uh, with their faith. But um, the older generation, I think, um, not necessarily in my mum's, but my maybe my nan's generation, not talk about. Not talked about at all Mm. so um even when I would go over to see my nan and stuff it's not something that I would ever bring up and because it would be okay all right it's all right you're fine it would be that response it wouldn't Mm. be oh how do you feel and um how um what did you um think it would happen if you experienced it again. Or it wouldn't. It yeah, wouldn't there, there a, wouldn't be an
0: explorative conversation no, about it. No,
1: there wouldn't be any of that at all. It would just be like suck it up and move on. You're a strong black woman, and these things happen, and that's what we're. That's what we've been told from such a young that's age. That's such a dangerous okay. rhetoric, though.
0: Yeah. Like it's. It's. I know. I know it to be true, but it's. It's such a dangerous like. Like you're a black woman, you'll be strong. Yeah. Yeah, but still, like, I was like, even
1: even with us from a young age, where we even say ourselves, Yeah, I'm a strong black woman, like, nothing that happened, I cannot deal with because, some way, somehow, as a black woman with everything waiting on my shoulders, I will get through it. And that narrative needs to change because it is killing us. Yeah, it's literally killing us, and we don't see it. And until more people start talking about it, and really uh, that we are able to be vulnerable and that we can cry, we we can talk about our feelings. Mm. We don't have to be strong for everyone else. Mm-hmm. That is going to change, but until then, it never will.
0: Do you talk to your children about your previous? That is that something? Have no, you I don't done think.
1: That? I don't think they're old enough to understand yet. I think my son, he's very intelligent. So he, um, he's very quiet in everything. So he, he observes. He's very observant of everything. But I still don't think he is old enough yet to understand mm. the entirety of what ha- actually happened mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he knows I'm sick so they see it they hear it yeah so when, you, when like, you're pregnant yeah. yeah yeah. so um but he doesn't I don't think he I think he's at the age where he can fully understand what has happened I think if I um if I'd had Clark and not come home with a baby then that's something that I maybe have had to discuss with him mm-hmm. but it Thank God I didn't have to yeah, do that yeah, with Clark. Yeah, but yeah, it's not something that I've really had to. He knows he knows that I have difficulties because he'd wake up in in the morning and I'd be gone. Where's Mummy? She's in hospital. But when I went to bed, she was fine. Yeah. Yeah. So um he understands that I'm having a difficult pregnancy. We sat them down and said, "Mummy's sick, and you guys have to be a little bit more." You sat down yeah. amazon and Clark. Yeah.
0: The reason you sat them down is because. I'm pregnant! Because <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about it, people would be like, go there. what's she talking about? Well, congratulations!
1: Thank you. Um,
0: but I know in, in that congratulations, you're going through a hyperemesis, and you're going through, you know,
1: but you had, <laughs> you've had your stitch put in. Yeah, I've had my stitch put in now. Great. Um, but um, this pregnancy is not as scary. As Clarks and Hamiltons, but it's still scary. Why is it not as scary? Because... I think because I've done it twice already, and I know what to expect. And I've had to come to a realisation that if I continue to torture myself, I'm going to make myself sick with worry. And it's just... And I can't... I already cannot enjoy my pregnancies. <laughs> yeah. So on top of that, m- it torturing myself is just not helping. Mm-hmm. So I've had to try and get myself into a different mindset that... Um, Every twinge and every this and every that is not me losing my baby. Yeah. And now that I've had my stitch put in, I'm a little bit more at ease with this pregnancy. But I'm not 100% at ease. because I still have to stop myself from going to the toilet or stop myself from peeing, wiping, checking.
0: Okay, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. A, that was with, with Clark and Hamilton, pee, wipe, check and then check again like every single time every single time
0: so it's almost like a like a um, slight OCD like I have to yeah const you almost feel like you have to make sure your baby's still alive at every yeah. single stage yeah. of gestation
1: so I my baby's just started to kick and move now mm-hmm so that's another reassurance yeah that the baby's okay but then um, if I'm walking and I feel a twinge I will just stop in my tracks because I'm not sure what's going on. Mm-hmm. Even though I know the stitch is in, mm-hmm. I'm still a bit paranoid. Like, um, okay, what's going on? And then I have to then stop myself from taking myself to the hospital. Because I still think, let me just go and just reassure myself. And I have to stop myself doing But what...
0: you're still having, um like, specialist care throughout yes, uh, your pregnancy. Yes. yes. And, yeah. and, and any pregnancy you, you have...
1: This is my last one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But anyone that you did have, just for people who might not know, you know, there might be some women who've been through the same thing as you, but don't even know for future pregnancies, what is the next step? Is it something that you have to say, I want this care? Or like, could you have said in your second pregnancy, the care you're getting now, could you have told them you wanted that then? Or is
1: that they have to kind of diagnose? Yeah, because they weren't sure. Okay. If they had scanned my cervix um, in my first pregnancy, properly and had checked me, then I probably would have got that care in my second pregnancy. But as okay. far as I was concerned, I was going to have a normal pregnancy. Yeah. So there was nothing for them to check. Mm-hmm. But in my second pregnancy and in this one, I was very adamant about what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And because I was so fearful of anything going wrong, I bugged them to no end. I, I made sure I got what I wanted. So even with this pregnancy, as, the, as soon as I saw my midwife, before I even sat my bum in the chair I said I need a stitch and it needs to be booked with my consultant and I need this and I need this and I need this mm-hmm. I need to and she's like oh um, what consultant were you I said I gave them my consultant I had before I remember everything okay it's crazy so mm-hmm. they um, I said I, and I want it booked today because she was like oh what we'll do is we'll send you a letter I was like no I want it booked today mm. so I, I want I, and so I sat there waited for her to call through to make the appointment with my consultant. And you
0: can self-refer. You can so self-refer, If, if yeah. you find a consultant that you feel like you're more comfortable with and they're not in your borough, you can self-refer to yeah. any hospital. So I you?
1: self-refer to Kings because that's where I've had all my babies. Mm-hmm. And I'm more comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. And because they know a little bit, or any hospital will have my files, but I just feel that they're more equipped to deal with what, for me. Kings
0: are... are um, specifically well-equipped for high-risk pregnancies and yes, also yes.
1: multiple births as well I yeah. know that they are like and they've got a really world, world renowned medicine unit and everything so mm. and, they've, and they've just relocated as well so yeah I was very I was much more comfortable with actually referring myself mm-hmm. back to Kings but you have to be very vocal mm-hmm. about what it is you want because even with my sickness um, I would be put on the ward and They'll be like, okay, you've had one IV drip. Um, we'll send you home in a couple of hours. And I'll be like, no. I'm still hydrated. Can I...? And at one point I had to say, I need to do another urine sample. Because I didn't think my ketone level was low enough. Wow, you knew what your ketone level Okay, yes. right.
0: So you have to basically spell it out sometimes. and Yes.
1: if you And I not... want to see everything. So when they test my urine, yeah. I want to be there. Because I want to know. And I want to log it in my phone or write it down or remember it because they can be very blasé about it especially when you're not still under that consultant care so I think if I had my consultant on that ward should be like no okay this needs to happen or that needs to happen but when you're just on a general ward and they've got other people with other issues or they need that bed I just think for me they just want to fill you with some liquids and get you out, mm-hmm. whereas I'm, you're not doing that to me, yeah. I want this and this and this and even when my line went in, I said um, my line doesn't feel good, I was like okay what we'll do is we'll um, see if you can drink, start drinking water mm-hmm. and then we'll discharge you later, no, I want my <laughs> IV drips because I'm dehydrated yeah. and I know that because then I would have to call them and be like could I get another injection of um, anti-sickness? And they moved me from, because I know that when it goes through the vein, it gets to you quicker. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to move me on the tablet forms really quickly, and I was like, it's not going to work. I'll be back here in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So eventually they found the right formula, which I'm mm-hmm. on now, for to keep my anti-sickness down. Because okay. like, it's just torture. It's like, you've got your HD, then you've got your weak cervix, and then you've got this and that. And so the, it's a the lot pregnancy asthma.
0: Yes, it's a lot for one person's yeah. body, physically, to deal with. Yeah. And speaking of it being a lot for your body to deal with. We're going to move on just for a minute. Because before your body was dealing with bringing life into the world again, <laughs> you were running your business. Yes. And I think that we should talk about it because it's like very well known and well regarded. And your clerk's closet. And what is it that you do? And what is your like your business's ethos? And why did it start? Um, I Well, it first started because...
1: <laughs> when every time I tell this story, people were like, what? That doesn't happen. What? So my daughter was about four months old. And I was making her little hair bowls and everything and putting them in. And I was like, I wanted like a little rag doll for her. Something that I can take in the buggy with her. And she'll love and she can throw around. Something that she can throw around quite well made. I didn't want a hard body doll. I just thought she was too young. Yeah. So I was... Um, walking down the high street, I saw a charity shop. I went inside the charity shop. They had rag dolls all in the front, but they were all white. So I went in and I said, do you have any black rag dolls? And she was so excited and she said, oh yes, we've got some in the back. We just haven't put them out yet. Now we're not in, we're in South London. (laughs) We're not up north where it might be like, okay, we're in a multicultural society, so these things should not still be happening, but of course they still do. Mm. So anyway, she brought out a, a gollywog, and I was... Sorry?
0: She brought out a what?
1: I'm sure I told you this. You
0: know, you never mentioned <laughs> the bit where
1: you, you said she brought a gollywog. So she was like, oh, here it is! And I literally, I didn't even say anything to her. I just turned around my buggy, and I got out of there. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So this
0: is why it wasn't in the window?
1: This is why, what was it? I feel it was in Point the taken. Because she said, oh, she just hasn't got around to get to getting them out. But your manager must have known, there's no way we're going to put that in the window. But if anyone asks us for anything, we'll go in the back. Or maybe she didn't even know. Because as far as she, she was really excited. Like, she didn't seem like it was a a,
0: a, a taboo for her. No. Okay, so then, yeah, so okay. You saw the body walk and then...
1: And then I went online, and I thought, oh, gosh... TK Maxx anywhere. I've just it's a rag doll. It's not like okay. I know that um, when I was young, hard body black dolls were hard to get. by, So we used to go. My I used to get them sent from the states or even Amsterdam. Or hard
0: a hard body doll is a baby born or a baby animal.
1: Yeah, just yeah.
0: So, so people know what yeah. the difference is. Yeah. So
1: um, they didn't. There was I just couldn't find any. There was just none. And I've got, a, I can sew, I've always been able to go sewing, so My My um, sister is a graphic designer and a fashion designer. We've got sewing in our, in our family. So I thought, okay, I can do this myself. So I taught myself how to make dolls. I made one for my daughter first, the, my first ever doll, no one's seen it, it is horrid. Really? <laughs> no, I want to see it now. It looks like a V2 doll, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> So, so how long have you been doing Clark's Closet four, and Oven? So my daughter's um four and a half, so just um about when she was about five, six months, I started mm-hmm. making dolls. And I started making really small dolls. They were like spoon-body dolls. I still make them now. And I made one for Clark, and she used to have it in her buggy, and then someone would be like, Oh my gosh, they're so nice, where did you get that? And I was like, Oh, I made it. Oh, can you make me one? And at the time I was like I'm not making any any (laughs) dolls, I just wanted to make something for my daughter at first, so I Mm -hmm. said, teach myself how to um, make dolls and do it for Clark and that was that and then it just kept happening and then I would make her headbands and tutus and all kind of things and everyone just kept asking, okay let's do this and that's where it started. And And now you
0: make dolls with five shade ranges, she has mixed race dolls, black dolls, white dolls, Asian ones too, Oriental, you have dolls with vitiligo you have dolls yeah. that represent children with cancer as well yeah you made some limited edition ones from the black panther series she's got animals as well you gifted my child an elephant <laughs> she's also got bum bags i'm just trying to reel <laughs> off your whole inventory here so yeah people so it really started know. with
1: it's, yeah it started with a doll and now it's you've got neck pillows for traveling yeah. Yeah. and you've got one other thing
0: i'm thinking of you've got one other pillows pillows yes doll face um cushions yes amazing yeah Obviously, you're pregnant at the moment, so you're just selling old stock now, aren't you? Yeah,
1: so at the moment, the, sto- the store is just on sale at okay. the moment, because I literally... Oh, everything's on sale? Yeah, everything's on sale. Oh, so- did you hear that? Everything's on sale. What's the website? co dot uk. Yeah, so, and there will be a few other things that will be going up in the next um, week or so that I've actually found in the cupboard. But, um, yeah, I couldn't do anything. I literally have to, I've had to put Clarks Closet on hold, because even, yeah... With And the thing is with hyperemesis as well is it's not just the throwing up. Mm-hmm. I could turn the TV on and a light, there might be a blue image or a purple image and that will make me throw up. Is that a thing? Yep. Colours, certain colours make, um, well now I'm, it's, I'm. for some reason my pregnancy hasn't, with HD, is not as bad as it has been with my others. Mm-hmm. And I just think, uh, I don't know if it's the new medication that they've given me but even so, sometimes I can turn on the TV, and I feel like I'm gonna throw up. This just... is mind blowing. Yeah, certain noises. If the when I first was getting really, really sick, the bell would go, and it would shoot through my whole body. Wow. And I would run to the toilet and throw up. Wow. I have to have my phone really dim, and my phone is, and even the the, the to- ringtone is not as loud as it usually is because my body can't handle it. So basically, it's like it sounds like.
0: HG just heightens all, all of your, your senses. senses. Every
1: single one, every single one. So, no matter how much food I eat, I never feel full because everything tastes the same. So, I my taste buds are completely shocked. So, I'm never hungry, but I know I need to eat. This is amazing. This is this is
0: this is this is mind blowing and amazing all at the same time. But like, thank you for coming and talking to me just about like yourself and everything that you've been through and sharing it and um if somebody has been through something similar um and they don't want to get support from some of the places that we've spoken about are there any places for people to get support i'm going to do some research and i'll let you guys know at the end of this episode but i was just wondering if you knew any
1: For, for me i don't i i've never i've always just had family okay um the, I know the that there are group. groups, there okay. are groups that the hospital, um, I think when you're doing your antenatal and stuff there are groups but for me when it comes to um, a weak cervix it's still something that a lot of women don't talk about mm. and um, I'm very surprised because it does happen to quite a lot of women and, and it can be explained as why so many, so many women have miscarriages but they and it might be that they have a weak cervix but they don't have to have a stitch, some women have a, have steroids and that's fine for them. And some women, they're just monitored throughout their whole pregnancy. And I know
0: I know a woman who's just had her fifth child, but she just has children who tend to be prem. Yeah. But not prem to, the, to not the point of, like, 20, yeah. 24 weeks. Like, yeah. over, over 30, 32 weeks. But still, yeah. obviously, yeah, before still, 37 yeah. weeks is prem. So, I know that there's there's various different ways that you can be affected by some of the things that we've spoken about in this episode and in this chat. But thank you for talking to me You're and welcome. sharing and congratulations once again. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, the baby is due in the summer so I yeah. guess Clark's Closet will be back Clark's some point Clos- after
1: that. No. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, Clark's Closet will be back in the next month or so. Oh so, wow, really? Oh okay, that's yeah. soon. Um, as soon as I, I'm starting to um be able to handle my HG a bit better than that. I don't know. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, or I, I don't know what's <laughs> happening, but or it's the medication. But I, there is no way I am putting that on hold for until the baby's born. okay.
0: So watch this space. Yes. Definitely. By the end of March, Clark's calls it will be back. Watch this space. <laughs> we'll watch this space. Okay. In the next
1: couple of months, yes, it will be back, but it's not going to be until after the baby's born. Okay. Thank you for talking to me. You're
0: welcome. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Jodie. If you'd like to find out more about her, you know where to find her to close this week's episode we are going to hear the story of a woman called sariette and the reason that i chose to share her story this week is because when i originally read it on the make motherhood diverse instagram feed i felt like she was incredibly strong but also incredibly brave in addition to all of that i felt like this is something that not many people would do but it's pretty damn powerful My husband was diagnosed with motor neuron disease a year after we got married, just as we had started trying for a baby. I wasn't pregnant, and the question Rob asked at the time was, what should we do now? His biggest wish in life was to be a dad, and I wanted the family we had planned on having, so there was never a debate. People wanting to help offered their expert opinion, telling me it's hard enough raising kids in a normal household with two healthy parents and that I shouldn't bother, unaware I was in fact already pregnant and already scared. My husband passed away a year ago. Our daughter was only 11 months old at the time and I can look back and be proud of our choices. She may be a child to a one-parent household now, but she was born to two very loving parents. And she gave me a reason to get out of bed during the darkest days. She gave Rob a chance to taste parenthood. And she gave me a bit of him to hold onto forever. That is the end of the Make Motherhood Diverse podcast. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Remy Sharday. You can find me on social media at Books Baby and Back. And of course, you can find the Make Motherhood Diverse blog, which is www.makemotherhooddiverse.com. The Instagram handle is at Make Diverse, And the email address, if you'd like to send in your submissions to be featured on the podcast is mmdpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you. Bye bye.